0: 1 beginning at verse 23, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 23. I'm going to spend a few minutes in introduction tonight because I think that getting why Paul wrote these words and, and what was fueling it is going to really bring out even more of the meaning to us tonight. So 2 Corinthians is probably Paul's most personal letter. It's the letter that shows him in his most humanness, if you will. It's a letter that talks a lot about the pain and suffering and trials that you and I will go through in this life. And yet, in spite of it, as we've already seen in the first two weeks, we can be very confident and we can triumph through it all in Jesus Christ. Now tonight, sort of continuing from last week, Paul is going to remind us, in a sense, using his own life, that the greatest joys that you and I can have in life can come from relationships. But we also know that the greatest pain that we can have An experience in this life can come from relationships. And learning to navigate relationships is an extremely difficult thing. I I know I'm sort of stammering here tonight, but I'm just trying through the Holy Spirit to choose the right words because there's so much I want to say, there's so much that needs to be said, but... I just, I want to say it the way God wants me to say it to you guys tonight, so bear with me. Um, Relationships remind us how much we need God's wisdom and how much we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, going back to last week, why Paul was so confident was because he was God-driven rather than people-driven or experience-driven or circumstance-driven. And we've got to keep that in mind in our relationships. And tonight, what Paul is going to share with us is really, he's going to be very transparent and he's going to open up a sort of a chapter in his life with the Corinthians that was causing him and causing them a lot of pain. And he's going to share with us how he navigated that in hopes that the Holy Spirit then can use what Paul experienced and what Paul says in order to help us with our own relationships in life. The thing God doesn't want us to do is to isolate ourselves and say, well... You know, I've been hurt, I've been burned, I'm just going to pull back like the turtle in the shell, and I'm just not going to have any meaningful relationships. Because we rob ourselves when we do that of some of the greatest joys on this side of heaven we will ever experience. But what we've got to balance that with is if we don't do it with God's wisdom, if we don't do relationships with God's wisdom, if we don't navigate relationships being led by the Spirit, then obviously we know from Paul's own experience that these relationships that we have can truly be a source of a lot of pain and heartache. And yet, what you're going to see through this tonight and in the coming weeks is that even in the yuckiest times of relationships that Paul had, he still viewed his life as triumphing in Christ. And there was still a confidence that he had in his life that others never took away from him, even if they turned their backs on him, abandoned him, abused him. All again, because he centered his life in Jesus Christ. And yet it was because of that that he could have truly meaningful, healthy relationships with other human beings. So with that, I know that's a longer introduction than we're used to here tonight. Let's begin in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 1. Paul says to them, Now I appeal to God as my witness that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Remember, He was being criticized for not coming to Corinth face-to-face. For saying that he did, and then he doesn't. He backs out. But Paul had a desire. He intended to come, but then as he thought more about it, as he prayed more about it, he decided not to come to Corinth. And here's the first reason why. Verse 24. I do not mean that we rule over your faith, But we are workers with you for your joy, because by faith you stand firm. Here's what Paul's saying of trying to put this all together. Paul had already given them instructions about how they were to handle certain things in the church. It was creating tension between him and the Corinthians that there was a lot of yuck going on in this dynamic and this relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. So Paul says to himself, I could go to Corinth, but knowing how strong of a personality I am. By the way, the word spared there in verse 23 means to abstain or refrain. So it's not maybe the best English translation of the Greek word. Paul says, if I came to Corinth, he says, here's what I envision happening because of just knowing how strong a personality I am, that as I start to just be who I am, it's going to at least influence some of you to adopt a certain way of doing things, a certain stance. You're going to make certain choices based upon me, based upon what you think I want from you, based upon what you think I want you to do. And Paul says... As much as that might seem like that's a good thing, Paul said, I have learned in God that that's never a good thing. Because in relationships, especially with God, what we have to encourage each other to do is to develop our own convictions. Though we want and though we should seek advice and counsel from godly people, There has to come that point where as we grow and as we mature, we can in a sense stand on our own feet and make our own decisions without always having to look at what do you think or what do you think I should do, that we learn to walk with God ourselves, if you will, and develop our own personal convictions about things. We cannot live off of other people's convictions. So when Paul in verse 24 says, I do not mean we rule over your faith. He's simply saying, look, we're not your Lord. We do not have dominion over your walk with God. We are called by God to help you and support you as you help and support us. It's to be a mutual thing. But we are not your God. We are not the Holy Spirit. And many times Christians get caught up intentionally or unintentionally trying to play the holy spirit in other people's lives and paul is rejecting that he's saying i don't want to be the lord of your life i don't want to rule that's not my role in fact he says we're just workers together with you for your joy We're, we're just here to help each other so that he says you can by faith stand firm in other words you have to, every Christian has got to be encouraged to develop their own personal convictions and confidence about things because that's the only way we as individual Christians can really stand firm. The word stand firm here means to be kept intact, to be sustaining, to, to, to keep going, to have a solid foundation. Again, Paul's simply saying, if I would have come to Corinth, many of you would have started to live my convictions. And that would have not been the most profitable, beneficial thing for you. It's exactly what Paul said to the Philippians. When he knew that his influence was a little bit more than it should be, when he said to the Philippians, you remember this phrase out of the book of Philippians, when Paul said to the Philippians, work out your own salvation? He's saying to them, guys, you've got to do this. I mean, you know, yes, we, we, we need each other. We're here to encourage each other, to support and help. But at the end of the day, every Christian has to learn to stand on their own feet and make their own decisions based upon their own walk with God and their own spiritual convictions. So what Paul's teaching us is that sometimes in relationships the best thing to do is to back off a little bit rather than to keep pressing, wanting my way. It's got to come from God. It cannot come from me. As much as I may want to see someone behave in a certain way, I can't bring about that change. Only God can change the heart. And even if they are living, because this happens in families and, and all over the place, If someone begins to adopt behavior, not really because they want to, but because they feel someone else expects it, that's a very dangerous ground for relationships to get to. It happens all the time. And it's not healthy. And so we've got to be careful that we don't cross those lines that are healthy in relationships with each other. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. And he was the Apostle Paul. He could have come in and wielded his apostolic authority and says, guys, I know what you should do, and here it is, and, you know, just do it because I said to do it. But he understands that long-term, I mean, short-term, yeah, but long-term, the better thing for the Corinthians is to learn to develop their own convictions based upon their own Walk with God. That's how we stand firm. So then he goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 2, So I made up my own mind not to pay you another painful visit. See here again, Paul's giving us some wisdom into relationships. There's a time in relationships to speak into a relationship to maybe confront, to talk about things, but there's a time to back off and let things simmer and settle for a while. And what Paul and the Corinthians had gotten into in their relationship was that every time they came together, there was explosions. Every time they came together, it ended up in pain. And Paul said, I am learning from God. That right now, the better thing for me to do, instead of coming to you physically, is to write you a letter, let this letter simmer with you guys for a while, see how you react to what I've said in time, and then maybe down the road, I'm hoping that that will clear the way to where things are better between us, and I can come back then and physically be with you. So just like the book of Ecclesiastes says in chapter three, where uh, Solomon says, there's an appropriate time for everything under heaven, every activity, there's an appropriate time. And he goes on to say, there's a time to speak and there's a time. I'm paraphrasing now. There's a time to shut up. There's a time not to speak. There's a time, for instance, in this passage, we would say there's a time to have a face-to-face and there's a time to just let something go and and let it ride for a little while because by continuing to come face-to-face and try to deal with this, it's not the best time. It's only causing more pain. We need to settle for a little while we need to simmer for a little while we need to go to neutral corners for a little while and we need to think about and pray about things and then hopefully as we do that we can come back together later this is what paul's saying that's why he didn't come to pay them another painful visit and then i love what he says in verse 2 beginning in verse 2 he talks to us about the expectations really that Christians should have in their relationships with each other. Notice what he says in verse 2. For if I make you sad, who would be left to make me glad? <laughs> think about that. Some people think, wow, Paul, you're being pretty selfish. No, he's being biblical. He's being right. We're going to see this in a minute. Why? The one I cause to be sad. Verse 3. And I wrote this very thing to you so that when I came, I would not have sadness from those who ought to make me rejoice. Since I am confident in you all that my joy would be yours. So Paul's saying, I'm hoping that as you marinate on this and as God begins to change your heart toward me and towards this situation, that when I do finally come, we'll be able to enjoy each other instead of causing each other pain. So let me go back to what I said. Do you see in these verses that the expectation of Christian relationships is that we bring each other joy when we get together, not pain? Not that there's not going to be time. He's going to get to that in a minute. Where we might have to have a painful conversation. Where we might have to speak into someone's life and have a hard conversation with somebody. But that should be the exception rather than the norm. In other words, Paul's saying, when Christians get together, it should be a happy, joyful thing, not a, got to get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And you know that you're in a bad place, or you're in a bad church situation, whenever you dread going to church to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because exactly the opposite should be true. That there should be an environment created with your brothers and sisters in Christ that you can't wait to see them because you all just enjoy being with each other because you bring each other joy every time you get together. And that's what Paul's saying should happen when me and the Corinthians get together. Again, the problem is, at this juncture, Paul's on this page The Corinthians are on this page, and because they're on opposite pages, every time they get together, they're causing each other pain rather than joy. So Paul says, I'm backing off. Again, he's showing wisdom. He doesn't continue to press when God doesn't want him to press. Again, there's a time to do that, but there's also a time to back off and let things settle for a while. And that's what Paul's doing here. Notice in verse 4, he says, Out of great distress and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Second Corinthians, out of all the letters in the New Testament, including all of Paul's letters, I would say was written more with tears than with ink. I believe that if you read this letter, where many times Paul talks about this very thing, that probably there were tear stains on that letter from Paul as he wept as he wrote what he did. Because again, it didn't bring him any joy to write these hard things to the Corinthians. But notice what he goes on to say. Not to make you sad that I do this, but to let you know the love that I have, especially for you. That's an amazing statement. When you and I know what the church at Corinth was like. That probably that church caused Paul, personally, more trouble than any other church. And yet, notice what he says. He says, but I have a special love for that church. Wow. And Paul said, I said what I said, not to make you sad, but because I, it's a sign that I love you. So here's the balance. There's a time in relationships to hold. There's a time to back off. There's a time to let things settle. But there's also maybe a time, and then we've got to, again, be led by God and have His wisdom to know what's the best way to say it and how to say it. And to always make sure that what we are saying to someone, if we are speaking healthily into their life, as we hope others speak sometimes healthily into our life, that we're doing it in love. Just as Paul said, speak the truth in love. And Paul said, what I said to you, I said because I love you. Not because I wanted to make you sad. Wow. So much... So many trails I could go down tonight, but I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit take this message tonight and take over because, guys, I will tell you, after studying this passage, the predominant thing that God just reminded me of is, Jeff, in your relationships and as a pastor, obviously, lots of relationships, just continue to make sure that you let me lead you. And that you walk in my wisdom when it comes to relationships. Because every day, like you, I'm confronted with relationships where it's like do I say something or I don't say something? Do I let this go for a while? Do I not let this go? I mean, we're all there together. Do I back off? Do I not back off? We all deal with this. I mean, this is everyday stuff that we deal with. Whether you're talking about family, whether you're talking about coworkers, whether you're talking about, you know, neighbors, whether you're talking about friends, whatever you're talking about, we all have to deal with relationships. And we have to learn how to deal with them in a healthy way. And hopefully, There are times and there are relationships, a few relationships in our life where people allow us to speak healthily into their lives and we allow them to speak healthily into our lives. Now, I will say this. I think the culture of the modern church prevents us from following a lot of the directives that the Bible talks about when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ doing church together. I'll tell you why here in just a minute. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 5. If anyone has caused sadness, now he's going to pull out an example from the church at Corinth that all of them knew about. I'm not going to take the time because I don't think that's, as I prayed about this, as I thought about this, where to go with this, I don't think God wanted me to spend a lot of time going into the background of this as much as sticking with this passage. But what I will say is this. There was evidently, And, and, you know, some people are pretty strong that this was the guy Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 5. I'll be honest. As I've studied this, I'm not quite sure. So that's why I don't want to be dogmatic about this. What I will say is this. Somewhere along the line, there was someone in the church at Corinth that caused other brothers and sisters sadness because of their behavior and caused Paul sadness. And, And he says, he has not saddened me alone But to some extent, not to exaggerate, he has saddened all of you as well. I personally am leaning towards the fact that this is not the person in 1 Corinthians 5, but this may have been somebody that was resisting Paul's apostolic authority in the church and probably said some things about Paul that he probably shouldn't have said. But notice in verse 6, Paul says this punishment on such an individual, by the majority, not by everybody, but the majority, is enough for him. Now here's where it gets a little sticky. What I think Paul is describing here is what the Bible talks about when it talks about church discipline. And this is where we get into the area that I don't think in the culture of the American church that we live in, That the kind of relationships that people have with their local church and with their brothers and sisters in Christ is healthy enough to ever see something like this come about. Here's why. In the church today, if some brother or sister in Christ was to even lovingly confront another brother or sister about something in their life, most Christians today would go, huh, I'm just going to leave that church and I'm going to go to another church down the corner. So there's no, there's no dynamic within the local church to truly try to work through things and work through relationships with each other. We live in a culture today where if someone gets offended, they just leave this church and go somewhere else. Which happens all the time. You know, how many Christians are really going to want to allow their brothers and sisters in Christ to sort of inflict some kind of church discipline on them and that they would be willing to stay working with their brothers and sisters in Christ on a situation and not just cut and run. We just don't live in that cult. And I I grieve that because I think God wants to see us have such relationships with each other that we actually can be accountable to each other. And hold each other accountable. Again, in a healthy way. Not in some, you know, Christian Gestapo way. You know, for instance, I'll just use this as a lame example, but like, because we don't never do this at the DOA. Maybe other churches do, but we will never do this. But say, say someone misses a Sunday. Normally you're here. You know, you're not going to get a call from Pastor Jeff going, where were you yesterday on Monday? Why weren't you in church? You know, we're not going to do that. You know, first of all, you want to be here, you can be here. If you don't want to be here, that's between you and God. I'm not your judge. Okay? But there does come that point in our healthy relationships with each other where we should have such a good relationship with each other that there's some accountability there. That's the way God designed the church to be. And there's people today that just don't want to be part of any kind of accountability to other people. And that's why they stay on the fringe of churches and just go in, sit for an hour on Sunday, and leave, and never get close to anybody, because not only do they really not want relationships with anybody, they really don't want accountability to anybody. So again, we're, we're talking a foreign language to a lot of Christians today when we read a passage like this. This is the way God designed it. So I, I'm not lowering this down. I'm just simply saying, I wish we could get to a point. And I will say this, at the Oasis, one of the things you will always hear us striving for is we not only want to be a church that, that you know, bases our foundation on the Word of God and worship of God, but where we encourage each other to connect with at least a few people, we understand you're not going to have close relationships with everybody in the church. That's physically and humanly impossible. But where at least you have some people in that church that you truly consider to be brothers and sisters, that you're close to each other, and that you're connected to each other, and you sort of watch out for each other, and you encourage each other in a healthy way. So anyway... Paul says then in verse 6, whatever this discipline was that was brought on by the majority of the church for this individual who had caused the church some pain, he now says, instead, verse 7, or he says in verse 6, this is enough for him. Whatever he's now went through, whatever price he's paid, whatever consequence he's had to go through because of what he's done, Paul says, now it's sufficient. No more. See, it's sort of like a parent. If a child needs discipline, parents have to use great judgment in knowing how much discipline is adequate so that it will prevent that behavior from ever happening again. Or at least that child's thinking twice before it happens again. And when is it too much to where I've crossed the line and that discipline now has become cruel? Well, the same thing is true in the body of Christ, in our relationships. When is it when we navigate relationships where we say something or we do something that's sufficient, that, that sort of, it fits what has happened... And when does it cross the line where now I'm asking for a pound of flesh when I really shouldn't demand a pound of flesh? Again, these are things we have to deal with every day of our lives in relationships. Do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I just let it go? Do I talk to this person? If I talk to them, how much do I say? Do I lay it all on the table? Do I just back off and maybe I say something and then just let it rest for a while? Again, these are things we deal with all the time. And Paul's just taking us through something in his own experience to try to, I think, encourage us. There, There was no easy answers here. Paul was writing a letter in tears. He experienced a lot of pain in his human relationships with other Christians. It baffles me sometimes when Christians say, man, Christians cause me a lot of pain. Well, duh. Where is it in the Bible that you think that there's going to be utopia on earth with other Christians? There is no utopia on earth. Even in a church, even with other Christians, we're still human. We're still at times not always going to be led by the Holy Spirit or not walk in the wisdom of God. And we're going to say and do things to each other that just... How do we navigate that? So notice Paul says this, verse 7, So that now instead... You should rather forgive. And the word forgive here means to graciously restore. In other words, Paul says, the whole reason for doing this anyway, for in a sense, putting this man under discipline, was never in a punitive way. It was always in a restorative way. It's just like with a child. Whether you're a teacher, a parent, work with children or whatever, if you're trying to correct behavior, Hopefully your goal is never punitive, it's corrective, it's instructive. And that's true in the body of Christ as well. We're not to be out to punish each other. Our ultimate goal is to try to restore relationships and get them or get us or get our relationship back on the track that it's supposed to be on. So Paul says, not only should you forgive, you should comfort him. Literally, it's parakaleo. It's the Greek word, again, for comforter. Come alongside and support and help and strengthen this person. Some Christians are very good at disciplining one another, but very weak in forgiving and comforting each other. Now, I will say this. Other Christians are very top-heavy, if you will, on mercy and forgiving, but lack a balance of discipline when discipline is necessary. See? And in order to balance love and discipline, we need God's wisdom and we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. Or else we're going to live in a, a life of out-of-balance... And you see this balance of both love and discipline in how they dealt with it and how Paul's instructing them to deal with this individual. Notice he says, this will keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive grief to the point of despair. The word overwhelmed is a great word. It literally means to be drunk down or swallowed up. Devoured. Paul says, be careful that you're not so hard on this individual that they get to a point where they they just don't feel like they're ever going to be of use or ever be able to do anything right again. Again, got to be careful. Overwhelmed by excessive, more than necessary grief, sorrow, or pain to the point of despair. Now, I want to make this personal for you. Okay? Because here's where some of you are here tonight. Some of you have a really hard time in your life still letting go of something that you've done in the past. And even though I don't like the term forgive yourself, I think the more biblical term is accepting by faith God's forgiveness. (laughs) Because he's already said, I forgive you. It's the fact that we need to, by faith, trust in God's forgiveness. And some of you still either feel that at times God punishes you for things you've done in your past, or that somehow the bad things that happen to you are justified because you're still somehow paying for what you've done. And you are in a position, just like Paul was worried that this guy would get, that you have gotten to a point in your life where you are suffering from over-excessive grief about something that God's already forgiven you and restored you for. And tonight, you need to hear this from God. God has forgiven you. You now need to let that finally go. And not allow Satan to continue to accuse you and for you to be gripped by something that you've done in the past and think somehow you've still got to pay for it. You don't. Let it go. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Corinthians. Because if they don't hold up now, this man is going to get to a point where he's just going to live in despair. He's going to think, I've done something so bad that God will never forgive me. Nobody will ever forgive me. I'll never be anything to God anymore. I've just done too much. And Paul says, no way. See, one of the things that comes through in this passage is God is the God of second chances. Hundreds of thousands of second chances. Therefore, verse 8, Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for Him. It means to confirm publicly your love for Him. Paul's saying, here's what you should do. You should somehow get that man up in front of the whole church and the leaders and everybody in that church should have a hug fest. And make sure that that man knows when he leaves that service on Sunday in Corinth that he is greatly loved because people have wept on him. And they are showing him that they love him in spite of what he's done. It's forgotten. It's forgiven. Let's move on, is what Paul is saying. Some Christians, the reason why they struggle in relationships is because either they can't learn to forgive themselves or they can't learn to let things go that others have done to them and forgive others. So Paul says in verse 9, for this reason also I wrote to you to test you. To see if you are obedient in everything. And if you forgive anyone for anything, I also forgive him for indeed what I have forgiven. If I have forgiven anything, I did so for you for you. In the presence of Christ. I want to go back to the first word, forgive, in verse 10. Very interestingly, this word forgive comes from the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. It literally means to be gracious or to give freely. Because that's what grace is. It is undeserved. And you and I need to learn that when we learn to forgive others, we're simply just being gracious to others as God is gracious to us. We don't earn God's forgiveness. He gives it to us because He wants to. It's a choice. When you and I forgive others, we don't do it based upon their earning our forgiveness. We do it simply for our own sake because we just want to let it go and not let it drag us down. Forgiveness is more about the person who does the forgiving more than it is the person who's being forgiven. Maybe they don't even care that you forgave them. And I'll say this, this isn't this message to do this with, but forgiveness doesn't mean it everything's the same as it used to be in that relationship. It doesn't mean you trust the person. If they've broken a trust, forgiveness doesn't mean, well, I just treat them as if nothing ever happened. No, that's unhealthy. Forgiveness just means you release Whatever happens to them, whatever consequences, that's between them and God. You're not going to seek retaliation. You're not going to seek revenge. You give that over to the Lord. That's, that's forgiveness. Letting it go and moving on. Now, obviously, again, balance. If someone commits a crime against you, then they need to pay for it. You can still forgive them. That's what, There are consequences I tell people all the time to forgive and sin. I could go out tonight, you know, never, hopefully this would ever happen, your pastor doing something like this, but I'm going to use this as an example. Have too much to drink, get in a car, go off and kill somebody. Could God forgive me for that? Absolutely. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go to jail. There's still consequences to forgiven sin and this man paid some consequences for it, but he's now forgiven. He's acknowledged what he's done, obviously, and everybody in the church now needs to let it go and move on and forget about it. And here's why. Verse 11. So that we, as God's people, may not be exploited by Satan... For we are not ignorant of his schemes. See, when we don't forgive, when we don't let things go, when we become bitter against each other and hold grudges, we actually open ourselves up for Satan to take advantage of us and drive wedges between us in our relationships with each other. And Paul says to the Christians in Corinth and Christians everywhere, we've got to learn to do these relationships from a biblical perspective or else Satan's going to have a field day with us. He's just going to continue to divide and conquer unless we learn to do relationships biblically. I love this too when Paul says, we are not ignorant of his schemes, are we? By the way, the word schemes here means evil purposes that are continually thought upon. Don't miss what Paul's saying about Satan. He's saying that Satan never takes a vacation or a break from sitting back thinking of ways to somehow get into our lives. That's why I tell Christians, Christians, you can take a physical vacation. We should. You can take a physical break to give yourself a a physical and mental break from work or the routine of life, but no Christian ever, ever, ever better take a spiritual vacation. Because if you take a spiritual vacation, your spiritual enemy never takes a day off. He is continually thinking of ways to get into our lives and divide us from God and divide us from each other. And then Paul says this. I'll wrap it up. I don't want to run over again tonight. I ran over last week. I ran over Sunday. Man. God is... I'm trying, folks. I really am. I will tell you this. I I hope this helps a little bit. Out of the countless hours that I spend, I'm only giving you like 40 minutes worth. It could be a lot worse. I'll I'll just say it that way. We could be here till midnight tonight, okay? So... Ah, that's probably not going to help. But So verse 12, he says, Now when I arrived in Troas to proclaim the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord had opened a door of opportunity for me, I had no relief in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and set out for Macedonia. Let me say this, very important in closing. You need to hear this tonight as Christians. An open door doesn't necessarily mean it's a right door. Please, please hear that tonight as a Christian. An open door does not necessarily mean it's a right door. And here's why. Paul's setting a great example here. I know as human beings, because of the way God created us all to be different, that certain ones of us tend to be more people-oriented or task-oriented. I get that. You know, just that's the way we're made and there's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul's saying in the context of ministry here in serving the Lord is this. I've got to understand that ultimately ministry is people. And I can't get caught up in checking off a list or doing a task if my spirit is not at rest because I've got a a relationship that needs tended to that takes precedent over whatever task I'm trying to achieve. In other words, what Paul's basically saying here in these last couple of verses, it's very important. People always trump tasks. People are always more important than the task itself. For instance, think about the words of Jesus even when he even says about worshiping him. Remember what he says in the the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount? He says, if any of you come and worship me and know that you have something against a brother, what's he say to do? Leave your gift at the altar. In other words, even worship of me is not the priority. The priority is getting that relationship right. Think about the whole book of Jonah. The whole book of Jonah is God... One of the things about the book of Jonah is about God saying, I care as much even about this disobedient prophet than I do the task of making sure the Ninevites get the gospel, which they eventually get, but not at the expense of God working with this disobedient prophet. God doesn't say, just because you're running away from me and you're disobedient, okay, I'll just get somebody else because I don't care about you anymore. I'm just going to go over here. No, the whole book of Jonah, even, is an illustration that God is not going to leave somebody behind. Because he cares about each and every one of us. So yeah, there was an open door in Nineveh, but he wasn't going to go through that door at the expense of Jonah. That's why here at the Oasis, we try to reinforce this to all of our ministry leaders, to our staff, to our elders, to everyone in leadership and everyone here. We are not going to go down the same road like many churches get caught up in where ministry, whatever task it is, becomes more important than the people. And even the people who are doing the ministry. That's why, again, I'll use this as an example because it came up in our church about a year ago, I guess where Regina ended up pretty much doing all the hospitality on Tuesday and Sunday with Frankie and Dwight, and it was one family that was doing it, and and they were taking it all on themselves. And I heard about it, and I just said, we're shutting it down. Because we are not going to build any ministry, no matter how great it is, on the backs of just one or two people who are going to end up then eventually getting crushed under that week in, week out, if they don't have any help. And we've got, even got some ministries right now that could use some extra help. And I'm in the process of praying and thinking about, God, do we just scale back? Because I don't ever want people to think when they volunteer for a ministry here at the Oasis that somehow they're going to get run into the ground because we've got to make sure that we've got this ministry or program running at the expense of these people. Folks, there are churches and there are Christians all over the world that, that have been littered on the ground because there's it's more important that the program gets done or the task that gets done than the people. And Paul is saying, No. Relationships and people are always more important than whatever task is in front of us, because at the end of the day, the task, the ministry, the service is about the people. That's what it's about. And that's why Paul left the open door and made sure that he found Titus. Next week. Oh, come back next week. (laughs) We got some great stuff next week. And here's one of the things we're going to talk about next week. How do you get unstuck in life? Many people get stuck in a place in life and can't get out. How do you get unstuck? We're going to find God's answer to that next week. Let's pray. God, we thank You for giving us such insight into relationships. In, In some way, God, in a weird way I guess, even personally, I say before these folks whom I love so much and that I know that thank You for using this example in Paul's life that it's sort of I guess the misery loves company that there is something encouraging about the fact that even the apostle Paul had relationship struggles that relationships were always a, a thing that was constantly moving in his life and 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 it were constantly having to be navigated and it didn't always go well and it didn't always turn out well and Lord there's something encouraging about that because Lord, as we move through life, it, we just know that some relationships, Lord, oh, they, they literally are heaven on earth. They, they literally are people that you've brought into our life, and I, we just don't know how we could be blessed anymore, get any more joy, it could, could be any better. But Lord, we also know that there are some people in our lives. God bless them, Lord. We don't know why they're there. But, but Lord, we know that somehow you're using them to make us more like Jesus. And you're helping us to grow and how to navigate relationships. And so, God, we just pray, help us just to be open to your spirit and to your wisdom and how to navigate relationships, Lord. Even this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys for being here. Thank you. See you next week.